Thank you so much. It's a great privilege to be with you all. Uh, not just a privilege, but a great joy as well. It's always exciting to be in a church where uh, there's a vision for the mission uh, of the church, the worldwide spread of the gospel. Uh, I bring you greetings from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Statesboro, Georgia, and also uh, from uh, the Reverend Jim McCarthy, who was here on your staff sometime in the past. And now we are thankful he is our senior pastor. He's doing a great job. We love Jim and Jordan. Uh, they live down the street from us. We almost thought they were going to move in our house. Uh, we, have, we live on 119 College Boulevard. Uh, they live on in 219, just one block from us. We have four children, uh, two girls and two boys. They have four children, two girls and two boys. So we're about to think they're just going to move into the home with us and just carry on the ministry from 119. <clears throat> but we're thankful for them to be there and thank God for bringing them to Statesboro, Georgia. Uh, we think about uh, just one word of clarification about what my position is. There is an organization that is called Peru Mission. And I'm not actually officially working with that organization. I'm not a missionary on their staff. But I am working with a mission in Peru. Uh, Alonzo Ramirez is a part of Peru Mission, and uh, what I'm doing with my retirement time now is focusing on trying to uh, assist him in promoting his work. And of course, he is an ordained minister in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Peru uh, that was started by the Free Church of Scotland back in the previous century. So I'm trying to promote his work here. There are about eight or nine churches like this one, our church as well, uh, that support Alonzo's work, and so I'm trying to promote his work here uh, stateside. So I'm working with a mission in Peru, but not officially on the staff of that organization. Now, why do we have missions conferences? What's the point of it? Why do we every year or every couple of years do this? Well, there's several good reasons for it. One, it's good for us to sort of lift our eyes up every once in a while and try to get a bigger perspective on what God is doing throughout the world. Now, no one can put their finger on the pulse of the kingdom of God throughout the whole of the world. It's too big to do that. Uh, sometimes it gives me pause when people start uh, pontificating about what's happening throughout the whole world with regard to the kingdom of God. Uh, I think it's too big for us to really wrap our brains around uh, like, for example, I have a good friend, two good friends in the PCA that both have traveled to China uh, several times in the last several years. And I understand that in China, a, a nation of about a billion people, there is a church, evangelical church, of somewhere around 100 million people. That's one-third the population of the entire nation of these United States of America. And I have no knowledge about that church. I don't know whether it's strong, weak. Uh, whether it's reformed, not reformed, what's going on there. But I know that God is at work, Christ is at work, promoting the work of his kingdom throughout uh, the earth in ways that I can't even begin to imagine. So it's good for us every once in a while to pull back and sort of fly at 35,000 feet and look down upon the earth and get so, sort of an idea of what is this great movement of the kingdom of God that is being orchestrated by our Lord Jesus Christ from one end of the earth to the other. And to think about how do we own some piece of that great mission of our Lord Jesus Christ in some very practical way on the mission field. 
And then, of course, uh, another objective that we have for our missions conference is stir you up as members of Christ Church to give more sacrificially toward the end that men might be uh, sent into the world to proclaim the gospel, to preach the gospel, plant churches, and see the kingdom grow. And then, of course, also another objective is some of you might actually go. I mean, we want men to be called into the ministry. The great missionary movements of the past, at least it seems to me as I observe it, were uh, preaching movements. They were led by men who were convinced God had called them to preach the gospel like unto the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and call men out of darkness into light and plant churches. So we want to see men, perhaps some of you young men called here, maybe an older man, uh, called even as a result of this weekend's uh, conference, God places on your heart a conviction that he's calling you to preach the gospel uh, somewhere in this world. So I want to think about uh, this, this, um, this morning in our time together um, about some kingdom parables and what they tell us about the worth of this endeavor. What is the value I just caught the very end of Pastor Van Dudevoort's uh, message, and he was saying, is it worth it? And he was telling you, yes, it is worth it. So that leads into what I have to say this morning uh, with some kingdom parables about the worth or value of the kingdom. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd like for you to turn to Matthew 13. Now I want to read verses 44 to 50 as we think about the worth of the kingdom and our missionary endeavor. Here the Lord Jesus trains his disciples. So I want to think about the parables um, in a, a little bit different way. Usually we think about them in a personal manner. Uh, Jesus is telling you individually about the value of the kingdom to you personally. But I want us to think also about uh, the value of the kingdom and kingdom endeavor for us collectively as a body of believers as the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Westminster Confession of Faith Chapter 25 uh, of the church defines the kingdom in this way. Now, I know that there are a lot of different ways that we could define the kingdom. Some were narrow, some were broad. But the Westminster Confession defines the kingdom in this way. The, uh, when it speaks about the church, is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know in Colossians 1.13, uh, the Apostle Paul says that we've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. So we are subjects of King Jesus. One of the, my favorite shorter catechism questions is, how does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in uh, restraining and conquering all his and our enemies, and also in, uh, what, somebody help me, I lost that phrase. Somebody in here has memorized the shorter catechism. Anybody? And ruling and defending us, subduing us to, our, to himself, ruling and defending us, and restraining and conquering all our enemies. So we are subjects of Christ's kingdom. So re, let's think about that as we read uh, Matthew 13, 44 to 50. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind, and when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we think about then the, the value of the kingdom of God and uh, what would motivate a man, what would pursue to pursue the kingdom of God. You know, uh, I've traveled to Peru 20, it'll be 27 times in March. Uh, your pastor's been there several times. In fact, you'll go there next month. What motivates us to do such a thing as that? You know, the conquistadors who came from Spain and supposedly were bringing the gospel, although it really wasn't the gospel, not the pure gospel of grace, were moved to venture the dangers of crossing the Atlantic Ocean largely for the promise of gold, wealth, and lands. In fact, uh, when Cortez was in Mexico and negotiating with one of the um, Montezuma's uh, leaders, uh, he says to uh, the leader, um, this negotiator, if you, do you have more gold? And then he said this, it, gold, is good for a bad heart. He said, you see, my men suffer from a disease of the heart which can only be assuaged by gold. The negotiator said, yes, we do have more gold, lots of it. It was, to say the least, a dangerous admission. One of the Aztec chroniclers wrote this about the Spaniards. The Spaniards appeared to be delighted. They seized upon the gold like monkeys. Their faces flushed, for clearly their thirst for gold was insatiable. They starved for it. They lusted for it. They wanted to stuff themselves with it as, they were, as if they were pigs. They went about fingering the streamers of gold, passing them back and forth, grabbing them one to the other, bubbling, talking gibberish among themselves. How much gold uh, did they send back to Spain? By 1560, the conquistadors, it is estimated, sent over 100 tons of gold back to Spain, in effect more than doubling the quantity of gold in Europe. So it raises the question then for us, what do you consider to be of such value that you would risk your very life to obtain it? What would be considered to you to be such a treasure that you would be willing to sacrifice for it? Maybe you consider your husband or your wife such a great treasure that you would sacrifice for them. Um, we had a man in our church whose house caught him fire and he ran back in to get what? His shotguns. That was his treasure. 
I have a copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith that our church gave me several years ago, uh, dated 1658. It is 10 years removed. It is my treasure. There is a kind of treasure that you keep for yourself, that you guard, that you put away in order to protect it. But there's another kind of treasure, one that you share with those whom you love. In our text, our Lord instructs us in the worth of this kingdom of heaven treasure. So I want you to think about five things. First, this treasure secured. Secondly, sacrificed for. Thirdly, sought after. Fourthly, singular in nature. Fifthly, at stake. And lastly, uh, shared. I know that's twice as many points as you're supposed to have, uh, but we'll, we'll see what we can do. First, the worth secured. Jesus says in verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. So here our Lord compares the kingdom of heaven to a treasure of inestimable worth, so much so that the man who finds the treasure hides it so that he might secure it safely, that he might not lose it. Perhaps some of you have collected things um, during your life. When I was a kid, uh, we collected coins for a while. I didn't have much money, so we couldn't collect, you know, really valuable coins. But we would go and take a $10 bill and go to the bank and get 20, 50, roll, 50 rolls of pennies and search through them. And we would find every once in a while something that we thought was of value. Once I found an 1876 Indian head penny, but it was so worn that the Indian's face was completely rubbed off. Nevertheless, to me, it was a treasure, and I secured it. I hid it. In fact, I hid it so well, I have no idea where it is now. (laughs) Some professed believers act as though their salvation, uh, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, their membership in the kingdom of heaven, is something common, something ordinary, not something to be treasured not something that deals with the eternal well-being of their souls. Once having received it, then they do very little to pursue it any further, and nothing is done to secure it in their lives. But the kingdom of heaven is a treasure, Jesus tells us, that is to be secured. One cannot say he possesses it if he does not constantly pursue it. That's why I think the Apostle Paul tells us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And why the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 14, 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith, examine yourselves. So if we have this attitude toward the kingdom of heaven like it is a treasure that has to do with our eternal well-being, then we'll be much in prayer, we'll be much in the word of God, we'll be much with the people of God, We'll be thinking about the kingdom of heaven as a treasure worth securing. And the mission of the church begins when you treasure the kingdom of heaven. You will not embrace the mission of the church if you do not treasure the kingdom of heaven. So note the manner in which this man is said to have found this treasure. Uh, He seems to have rather stumbled upon it, doesn't he? He's not really searching for it. He just finds a treasure in a field that was hidden, and then he uh, hides it again himself. Nevertheless, it is a treasure to him. So just 
a little comment for those of you who uh, were born in the life of the church. Uh, you've never known a day outside the church. Uh, you didn't seek for the kingdom of heaven so much. You weren't out there in the world stumbling about trying to find some treasure. Uh, you found this treasure in your own home, in your own church. Or maybe you've attended missions conferences like this, never searched hard after the kingdom of God. Nevertheless, you found it nearby. That's a great blessing. It is nevertheless a treasure. So the conquistadors stole the world's treasure, and the world is bankrupt with its fool's gold. You and I have found a true treasure, a true treasure indeed, in the kingdom of God, and we bring this treasure to of the kingdom of heaven to a bankrupt world. And since it is the only true treasure, then secondly, it is a treasure worth sacrificing for. Note verse 44, we are told, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is, uh, in this man's mind, the treasure is so precious, so great, so exquisite, that he's willing to give up all that he has to obtain it. He will sacrifice anything to get it. Our Lord's teaching is that there is nothing in all this world that is comparable to the value of the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, a man who correctly recognizes its worth is willing to part with any of his and all of his most valuable possessions that he might possess this one treasure of inestimable worth. Any man who sees correctly the weight of his own sin, the danger in which his soul is apart from Christ, would then understand that this treasure is more valuable than anything else in his life, and he would give up anything to have it. Was this not the problem of the rich young ruler? He had many possessions, we are told. He did not see the surpassing value of the kingdom of heaven. And so we are told he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. But this man, in the parable of this treasure, was willing to sell everything he had in order to obtain this treasure. It was a joyous sacrifice, a satisfying sacrifice for him. Uh, we are told he sells all he has from joy over it. <clears throat> There's no begrudging <clears throat> sacrifice. This sacrifice was not made with regret. He wasn't stingy about it. There was no buyer's remorse. But the sacrifice was made voluntarily and joyously. Um, you ever felt that way? I think that we can also make another observation about the broad view of the vision of the mission of the church. That the sacrifices we make to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom around the world are worth it. And so I ask you, how do you see the worth of the kingdom and the sacrifices uh, that we make for it? Uh, is it worth it? Do you think it's worth it? I came across a quote from um, 
David Livingston. I think, I think Rick, you mentioned David Livingston, didn't you? On Friday night. David Livingston was an interesting man, um, maybe somewhat eccentric. Some might think today in our way of thinking about things, our psychological and therapeutic age, that he was a little bit nuts. Uh, maybe he was a little bit extreme, a little bit overboard. Someone said he had three wives. <clears throat> One was the Nile River. The other was exploration. <clears throat> the other was religion. And then, of course, yes, there was also his wife, uh, who he actually was married to. Um, but his pursuit of uh, exploration, his pursuit of uh, seeking to get rid of slavery in Africa, and his also pursuit of the gospel caused him much hardship and much sacrifice. Finally, he died at the age of 60 from dysentery and internal bleeding. Um, his heart was removed from his body and buried in Africa because that's where he had spent and poured out his life. So he made sacrifices. This is what he said about sacrifice. People talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply acknowledging a great debt we owe to God which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, foregoing the common conveniences of this life, these may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing compared with the glory that shall be revealed in and through us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk. When we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us, I never made sacrifice. So it is worth securing, it is worth sacrificing for, and also it is worth seeking. Note verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, previously, we noted that the man who found and hid the treasure apparently stumbled upon it as he was wandering about out in the field with little effort. Here, our Lord presents quite a different picture. Now, this merchant is seeking after a treasure. He's seeking fine pearls. And in this parable, the kingdom of heaven is represented by this pearl of great value or great price, which is worth seeking for. I'm certain that if I called upon volunteers to go out and help me search for old bottle caps strewn about the side of the highway, I would find that there were not many who would take me up on it. I'd probably be by myself. When I was a kid in grammar school, we got milk in glass bottles, and they had stoppers at the top. Some of you might remember that. And um, 
for some reason, they, were, they had great value. Everybody wanted to save them. And even people would threaten you if you wouldn't give them their bottle caps and uh, challenge you to meet them after school so they could beat you up so they could get their, your bottle caps. But if I told you there was $100,000 uh, buried over here in the Reedy River uh, under some kind of a rock somewhere and I knew basically where it was, I might get all of you to go with me to search for it. Some of you are always searching for a deal. You'll drive all over town and spend $100 on gas to save a buck on a deal. Some regard the kingdom of heaven as though it were worth no more than an old bottle cap of some sort or another. And they seek it very little. They would rather seek the pearls of this world, cars and houses and land and clothes. But Jesus says in Matthew 6, 23, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Isn't this what you do collectively when you have a missions conference? You pull back and you say, no, there's something of greater value than anything else that this world has to offer. And it is uh, the kingdom gospel and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God. And so we uh, proclaim this kingdom message. We call people to enter the kingdom by faith in the king. Jesus is calling his sheep, and they will seek after him. And we must be there to tell them where they can find him. So the kingdom is secured because it is of great value. It is sacrificed for, it is sought after. And then fourthly, I want you to note that Jesus tells us that the kingdom is of singular worth. Verse 46 says, Upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. In other words, here our Lord teaches us the kingdom of heaven is of peculiar worth. It's in a category all by itself. It is of singular worth among all the pearls of this world. This merchant is willing to give up all that he owns that he might possess one pearl. It is this one pearl as over against all the others that he seeks. It's like an art dealer who cares not to own many paintings of ordinary value, of medium value, but he cares rather to own just one painting of a master. Just one Rembrandt is all that he wants. And of course, we know many in this world are often like children, failing to correctly assess what is of true value. Sometimes we do that as well, such is the case oftentimes with the kingdom of heaven. We often are in great need of values clarification. Maybe uh, one of the things that happens at a missions conference is that we have a chance to <clears throat> clarify again our values. What are we here for? What is our purpose? What is our collected effort to be in this world as an outpost of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ? You know, sometimes uh, children can be tricked by an older sibling. Hey, I'll give you these 10 pennies if you'll give me that one quarter. You have 10 and I'll only have one. They don't know that the quarter's uh, worth 25 pennies. They have need of values clarification. And so um, 
This is what we do at a missions conference. It is to know the king and to be his loyal subjects, performing his will in his domain. We must go into the world and tell people that there is something of far greater value than anything you can find in this world. This is our mission. So is this your personal value judgment? Is this what you believe? Is it reflected in the way you live? Reflected in your budget? Reflected in what you pursue? Or are you yet enamored with the many pearls of this world? Would you hold on to pennies when God offers you the inestimable value of his kingdom? Or would you give them up for the surpassing value of knowing Christ and proclaiming his gospel. If you don't know this pearl of great price, the knowledge of Jesus, indeed you are poverty-stricken. The people of this world are chasing after so many false pearls, but there is only one of true value, of singular value, And we must tell them about this pearl of great price. This is our mission. So it is secured because of its great value. It is sacrificed for. It is sought after. It is of singular value. And then fifthly, I want you to think about its worth ignored or its worth at stake. What ultimately is at stake? Why are we proclaiming this gospel? of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus puts it in focus in verses 47 to 50 in the parable of the dragnet. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be a great day of separation. There is a end game. There is a final day that is out before us. I don't know when it is. Uh, No one knows uh, when that date is. Uh, Of late, you've perhaps seen more um, commercials on uh, TV about the coming rapture. I think David Jeremiah has a book about it. and There's a guy standing there uh, holding onto his cell phone, and suddenly he's gone, but his cell phone still drops. I don't understand why he gets to keep his clothes, but he can't take his cell phone. I don't know. I'll have to ask uh, them if I see them. But um, certainly the day is coming. Uh, But perhaps there's much more to be done to spread the gospel throughout the earth uh, before that day arrives. But it is coming. And on that final day of judgment, uh, there will be a separation. Those who have put their trust in Christ and have his righteousness will be able to stand unashamed. As the catechism says, they will be openly acknowledged and acquitted on the day of judgment. Won't that be glorious? 
No one will be saying, wait a minute, what's your name? What are you doing here? Uh, once Terry Johnson and I were, went to over to um, Twin Lakes, and on the way back, we had a layover in it, uh, Atlanta before we flew to Savannah. We were sitting in a little area there where there's a restaurant, and we looked over and we thought, isn't that guy, that's Josh McDowell. And he said, yeah, I think it is. He said, let's go over and talk to him. He had seen Josh McDowell when he was at, um, where did he go to school? Someplace in California. When I was at the University of Georgia, Josh McDowell came and spoke. So I'd met him. So we walked over to him, and just as I approached him, he reached out his hand and said, Roland, how are you doing? At that moment, I was in shock. And it flashed through my mind, this guy is not Josh McDowell. This guy is somebody else, and I'm supposed to know who he is, and I don't have a clue who he is. <laughs> the next second I recognized, I realized I still had my name tag on from Twin Lakes. <laughs> and being the Weisenheimer that he was, he read my name off my name tag. That won't happen in heaven. On that day, there'll be no name tag needed. There'll be no guessing You'll be openly acknowledged in the day of judgment by Christ Jesus himself. He'll know you by name. But those who don't know him will be cast out into utter darkness. They will go into eternal condemnation and judgment. What is at stake concerning the worth of this kingdom that we proclaim? It is uh, heaven and hell. It is souls perishing for all eternity versus those coming to know Christ and being called out of darkness into light. And if you'll not give up all as this man did for the surpassing value of the kingdom, then you will lose all without the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 12, for whoever has to him more shall be given and he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have it, even when he, what he has shall be taken away from him. It's like a man who throws away an old painting only to discover later on that it was a masterpiece. And he failed to understand its worth. And then, of course, lastly, I want us to note, after the, the value of the kingdom secured, sacrifice for, sought after, singular in value and it's worth at stake. It's worth proclaimed. Now, there's no statement in this, these parables to that effect. If you're looking for it, you won't find it. I'm just borrowing it and importing it from other places in the Scripture, so I'm not trying to pull the wool of your eyes, but I needed another S. So it's worth shared. This is our mission, to proclaim to the world that there is something of surpassing value, more valuable than anything in this world, the kingdom of heaven, to know God, our creator, through uh, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, to have our sins forgiven, to have a peace that passes understanding, to have eternal life, to pass from death unto life. 
more valuable than anything this world has to offer, the kingdom of heaven more valuable and so costly that no one on earth can purchase it. It cannot be earned. It cannot be merited. It is offered to us and we offer it to the world as a free gift. God's riches at Christ's expense. And so Jesus tells his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. This is our inestimable privilege that we proclaim this message about something of inestimable value, the kingdom of heaven, to know the king who alone forgives sin and gives eternal life. This we proclaim to the nations on the earth. It is worth securing. It is worth sacrificing for. It is worth seeking after. It is dangerous to ignore it. Sin souls are at stake. If you ignore it, you, it will cost you your soul, and it is worth sharing to all the world. This is the value of the kingdom. This is our mission, and it is worth us affirming yet again in a conference like this that this is what we are about, that this is what you are about as a church, a kingdom outpost. And in the few minutes I have left, three minutes, I want to give you some encouraging signs about the spread of the kingdom uh, throughout the world. And I cannot attest to the um, accuracy of these things, so I'll give you that disclaimer at the very beginning, but it is a study that was promoted by Gordon Conwell Seminary, so I think it has some value, but think about these things with me. This is a report called Seven Encouraging Trends of Global Christianity in 2022. Regardless of the situation in the United States, and we bemoan it, for we are in a downward trend, Christianity is growing around the world, especially in the global south. According to recently released analysis, the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary regularly updates a report tracking statistics and trends of religion in general and Christianity specifically about around the world. And there are seven encouraging trends, and I'll give them all to you. But here's the first one. Religious faith is growing faster than irreligious. Now, that's not defining exactly what that is. We would narrowly define evangelical Christianity. We would even more narrowly define it in terms of our particular Protestant Reformation version of Christianity, where we think the gospel is most purely expressed. But listen to these stats, because even if these stats were up, then I think our stats and open doors for us are good too. He says, particularly in the West, it can seem as if secularism is growing and people are leaving the church and the faith. Globally, that's not the case. While populations of all religions are growing at 1.27%, the growth rate of the religiously unaffiliated is less than half that, 0.52% and well below the total population growth percentage. In particular, atheism is almost stagnant, 
growing only at 0.18% per year. A 2015 Pew Research study also predicts the number of unaffiliated will shrink in terms of the share of global population. According to the Gordon Conwell Report, there are fewer atheists around the world today, 147 million, this was in 2022, than in 1970, 165 million, down by almost 20 million, with the number of expected to continue to decline through 2050. Christianity, he says, continues to grow. Not only is religion growing overall, but Christian, Christian, uh, Christianity specifically is growing with a 1.17% growth rate. Almost 2.56 billion people will identify as a Christian by the middle of 2022. That's for every kind of Christian you can think of. By 2050, that number will be 3.33 billion. And the fastest growing group is evangelicals by 1.8% per year. So, for example, in Peru, uh, 40 years ago, 3% evangelical or Protestant, now 11 to 14%. The places where Christianity is growing the fastest, Africa. In 2000, 814 million Christians lived in Europe and North America, while 660 million Christians called Africa and Asia their home. This year, 2022, it was 838 million lived in the global north, while 1.1 billion Christians live in Africa and Asia alone. In 1900, twice as many Christians lived in Europe than the rest of the world combined. Today, more Christians live in Africa than any other continent. By 2050, Africa will be home to almost 1.3 billion Christians while Latin America and Asia will both have more than Europe and North America combined. Interesting, isn't it? Christ is on his throne. He is ascended on high, and he is orchestrating the worldwide spread of his gospel, and there's yet something for us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to own a little piece of this great mission. And we confess, O oh Lord, it is worth every penny we spend, every second that goes by that we are engaged. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be more engaged. And I pray, Father, that you might even call some from this church to take the gospel into the far regions of the earth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.